All right. Um, last week we started a series called Road to Easter. And, and basically it's, you know, it's not going to be looking at everything that Jesus went through before he went to the cross. It's just snapshots, different things that he went through that I'm just going to talk about. You know, like I started last week, this week, and of course, uh, a couple of weeks from now when we have Resurrection Sunday. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to Matthew chapter 26. One of my uh, favorite verses in the Bible is the words that Joseph spoke to his brothers years and years after they sold him into slavery. Are you familiar with that story? Can you recall what he said to them? You see, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And through God's providence and, and working, Joseph eventually rose to second in command in Egypt. And his brothers came before him looking for food because of the great famine that was in the land. And they didn't know they were speaking to Joseph. Eventually, he revealed himself to them. And eventually, he, got, he told them these words. He says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, when you think about Jesus' road to Easter, this verse is true of him as well. People meant evil against Jesus and the things that he went through, and the things that he suffered. They meant evil against Jesus. But the Father, he meant it for good. Why? Because many people, many people, we're going to be made right with the Father because of it. You see the difference? And Jesus has finished work. The prophet Isaiah says, speaking of Christ, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Father, the Lord. And so God set Jesus on this road to Easter. He did. And last week, we started looking at that road. We started looking at some of the things he went through. Last week, we saw he dealt with unbelief. He dealt with doubt of, um, from those who were his enemies. Even some of his allies has doubts about him. Why? Because they all had Christ's expectations. They all had expectations of what they thought that Christ was going to do and what he was going to be. And many times, as I said last week, our expectations don't always line up with this. They don't. And this week we're going to look at another snapshot on the road. And it's what I call the last temptation of Jesus. You see, before he began his public ministry, he went through temptations. Remember, he went to the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. And guess what? He didn't give in to those temptations, right? He stood firm. And at the very end of his ministry, he's attempted again, and yet he is still without sin. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at verse, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. 
Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you this morning to hear your word, I pray that your spirit, again, would take what is preached, take what is said, and apply it to the hearts of your people. Apply it to my heart. And I pray, Lord, that we will leave here encouraged. We will leave here empowered by your word and your spirit, your gospel, that we can go out into the world and apply what we learn today to the very lives that we live. Christ in my prayer. Amen. Give a little um, context of what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples uh, are planning to celebrate the Passover, the Jewish Passover. And they do so at, uh, at some man's house. They don't, Jesus don't give us his name, it's just one of his followers. And so at this man's house, he and his disciples, so they're reclining at the table. And at this meal, at this table, Jesus reveals something. He reveals that some, one of them are going to betray him. He reveals that Judas was going to betray him. And after that, they had what is called the Last Supper. After they had the Last Supper, they sung a song together. Then they got up from the table and they made their way out to the Mount of Olives. And as they walked, Jesus said something else. The night was already tense because they found out Judas was going to betray him. And it gets even tenser. Why? Because as they walked through Mount of Olives, Jesus told his disciples that tonight you all are going to fall away tonight. You all are going to fall away tonight because of me. And what does the disciples say? No, Jesus. Oh, that's not going to happen. What are you talking about? Especially Peter. They all may fall away, Jesus, but not me. I'm not going to fall away. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? They all denied it. But Jesus knew. He knew. Even though they denied it, he knew what was going to happen. He knew they were still going to scatter. The word says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And when you get to verse 26, you see that Jesus and the disciples have arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. That's a garden area in the Mountain of Olives. And what you see here is Jesus very sorrowful. He has sorrow. They went to the garden to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here. Watch with me. He goes to the Gethsemane to pray. 
And he takes Peter and John with him. And these... Lost my train of thought. Okay, he takes Peter and John with him. And he's looking for a place of solitude. A place where he can be alone and pray. And the Garden of Gethsemane is a place that Jesus went to often. It's not, he always went there sometimes to pray. This time, circumstances are a little different. Circumstances are different. He has sorrow. He's troubled. He is going through some emotional distress. Emotional anguish. Spiritual affliction. He has a heavy heart. Because he knows his time is almost at hand. He feels it. He feels it. The hour is soon approaching. You see what what takes place here is Jesus' final moments with his disciples before he is betrayed. Before he is arrested. Before he is crucified. Final moments before he fulfills the mission. The final moments before he fulfills what the Father has sent him to do. The cross is in view. That's what he feels. And he tells his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Has your soul been like that? That sorrowful? If it has, then guess what? Jesus knows what it's like. He understands what it's like. See, unlike the mass of people that surrounded Jesus, Jesus was followed by tons of people during his ministry. Tons of people flocked to him. And unlike most of them, he knew what kind of Christ he was to be. He knew it. He wasn't a revolutionary Christ who was going to come and defeat the Romans. He wasn't going to be a social activist Christ preaching a non-violence, resistance to violence. He was more than a carpenter, more than a prophet, more than a teacher, more than a healer. He was going to be a suffering servant. A suffering Christ. Man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. So Jesus had no doubts, no misunderstandings, and no unbelief about himself and his mission. He knew it. If you go back a couple, ten chapters, you get to Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? The disciples say, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Twelve, who do you say that I am? And then Peter, of course, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They got it in one perspective. Yes, you are the Christ. And then in Matthew's gospel, after they made that profession of Christ, made a profession that Jesus was the Christ, the gospel of Matthew says, from that time forward, Jesus began to tell them what kind of Christ he came to be. Four different times after this profession, he foretold his death and resurrection to them. Four times he told them the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem to suffer by the hands of sinners. Why was he doing that? Preparing them. This is the type of Christ I came to be and it's coming. And now when you get to the garden, it's coming. It's almost at hand. It's almost at hand. He knows. Jesus knew his days on earth was numbered. He knew it. And it was no surprise to him. No surprise to him. But yet in the garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus in anguish and sorrow, 
even to the point of that. Can you relate? Four years ago, one of my aunts was killed in a horrible car wreck in Georgia. And we were living over in Decatur, Alabama at the time, and I got the phone call from my mother. Hard. A huge cloud of sorrow was over my whole family. My aunt left her husband and three kids behind. And to this day, my grandmother has never gotten over that. Still grieves the loss of my aunt. The whole family does. All of us do. And I don't think any parent gets over that kind of loss. Seeing death, thoughts of death, does make you sorrowful and troubled. Because it hurts. It hurts to lose loved ones. Even if they are believers, it still hurts. Right? Many of us have experienced this type of grief that comes from death. All of us have. And Jesus knows what that type of grief is like. The Father knows what that type of grief is like. So you're not alone. We all go through it. Parents have grief when their kids are sick because you can't fix it. Right? Children taking care of aging parents experience sorrow and grief. Right? You do. Sorrow for my kids when they make poor choices. Every parent has sorrow over that. Bad marriages, financial problems. Do those things cause sorrow and grief? Yes, they do. Grief comes in different shapes and sizes. It's not just death. It can be unemployment. It can be whatever. It can be, even our little kids can have grief and sorrow, particularly if their parents are hard to please. Yes, they experience it too. If all the parents is rude with an iron fist and too demanding. So we all experience it. And what are you going through now? What are the sorrow that you have in your heart right now? The anguish, the grief that you're going through. And I'm here to tell you you're not alone. You're not alone in it. Jesus understands. Not just intellectually, but personally because he went through it as well. Do you know that? Do you believe that? He's going through in this passage the same type of emotional trauma we go through when we have grief in our life. He's feeling it. His soul is overwhelmed with despair even to death. But what do you do with your sorrows, your griefs? Where do you run? Where do you run to for comfort, to get answers, to make you feel better? Is it healthy places? Is it dangerous places? Is it addictions? Is it some type of whatever sin you find pleasure in? Jesus runs to the Father. He turns to the Father. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, the picture you see of Jesus here is a man in so much distress, he can't even walk. He falls down on his hands and knees. Throughout his ministry, plenty of people have fallen down to, before Jesus the same way. And now he's falling down before the Father on his hands and knees. Father, please let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but as you will. He prays three agonizing prayers to the Father. 
The first one we just read, he prays again in verse 42. A second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he prays again for a third time. The same prayer using the same words. See, sometimes we, we have a tendency to over-romanticize the cross and what Jesus went through. So I'm here to tell you, he ain't going through warm fuzzies here. He's not picking off lilies, talking about oh, how much I love sinners. He's feeling great pain, sorrow here about what's getting ready to take place in his life, what he's getting ready to go through, what he's getting ready to suffer. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And he's feeling here. If you ever, if we read Luke's account of this, Luke says, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Great drops of blood falling to the ground. Intense emotional, physical trauma. And, and guess what? You don't have to over-romanticize your sorrows either. You don't. You don't have to do that to appear, to appear more spiritual, that you stand above what you go through. If it hurts, say it hurts. Don't pretend like it doesn't. There's nothing fun about suffering. Nothing fun about hurting. Express it. Let other people in. You don't have to live in denial about those things either. If you're going through sorrow, you're going to have these type of reactions sometimes, depending upon what it is, depending upon if you, what kind of loss you suffered. But Jesus runs to the Father. The question is, where are you going to run? Who are you going to run to? Luke's account also says, the Lord, an angel from heaven, appeared and strengthened Jesus. What does that tell you? The Father comforted the Son in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the midst of his sorrow. And he does the same for each of you. The Father comforts you. Do you want comfort in your grief and sorrow? Or do you just, you, you're good? Are you good? I'm good, I got it. We all want comfort. We all want comfort by the Father. And first, how you get there, you've you got to hand it over to the Father in prayer. You've got to hand whatever you're you going through over to him. And that's what Jesus does. Another thing is he comforts us through his word. Do you ever spend time reading the word, meditating upon the word? Especially the Psalms. He comforts us that way. He comforts us through other believers. The church. The church. Are you connecting with other believers in a deep way? Or is Sunday mornings the only contact you have with other Christians? You see, the body of Christ, any, the body of Christ in any local church, we should share one another's burdens and sorrows. We should. That's part of being in the body. Because when you're going through something, some type of emotional trauma or whatever, you're not always going to have rational thoughts. You're not going to always be thinking clearly. You're not going to be, we're not going to sometimes read the word. You're not going to want to hear the gospel. And so you're going to need other believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to come alongside of you in the midst of what you're going through. You don't have to walk through your sorrows and grief alone. But we always think we do. Because we don't think anybody else understands. I'm here to tell you we all understand. The problem is we just wear masks. We hide. Because you don't want other people to see that we're weak and that we struggle. That's country club life. 
church is not country club. The church gets below the surface. We need one another in that way. That real. Jesus. He didn't let all the twelve into this. He took three, brother, three guys with him. And he told them what he was feeling. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Guys, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. He let them inside what, what his emotions, what he was going through. Now, of course, they weren't perfect. They, they let him down, right? They kept falling asleep. They wouldn't keep watch. And so even, even when we reach out and serve one another, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to let each other down. The church is messy. We are a messy bride, but we are loved and taken care of, and we still need one another. Right? Do you agree? We are messy, but we still need one another. And as I was preparing the sermon this week, and I was looking at what Jesus was going through, and, you know, it's not like, you know, someone slipped him a note at the last supper that said, tonight you're going to die. You know, he already knew what was going to happen. He already always knew that this moment was coming. And so I'm asking myself, well, why all this emotional distress if he knew it was coming? He is God and man. I mean, I mean what's going on? Why this scene? If for all of his life he knew this day was coming, he wasn't sorrow for it any point in his ministry, but now he is. Why? I believe it's because it's, it's the last temptation of Christ. Last, last temptation he faced before he went to the cross. See, here's the thing. The source of the distress is the cup he is going to drink. The cup he is going to drink. Let this cup pass for me, Father. What is the cup? The suffering he's going to endure. Jesus is going to drink the cup of God's wrath towards sin. He is going to empty that cup with his life. He bears the sins of the world in his own body. That's your sins and my sins. He gave his life, as we just sung about, as a ransom for many. That's the cup. And one commentator says that in this prayer, Jesus is asking the Father, can you do it without striking the shepherd? Can you do it without striking the shepherd? I think this is Jesus being tempted not to be a suffering servant. A temptation not to be what Isaiah 53 talks about. The suffering servant who is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The one who, were, who bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. The suffering servant who was spitten by God, afflicted by God. The suffering servant who was wounded for your transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon this servant was the chastisement that brought all of us peace with the Father. And by what? His stripes, every single one of them, we are healed. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors on our behalf. He bore the sins of many, mine and yours. That is Jesus. He feels the weight of being the sin bearer for humanity. He feels it. It meant great pain, great suffering. You know what else it meant? You know what else it meant? That you don't, you need to realize for all eternity, the Father and the Son have been like this. All eternity. 
And you know when he bore our sins on the cross, the father and the son, the father was going to turn his face away from the son. That's what happened. Because the father, God cannot look at sin. And so that when he died, the father did that to the son. As a sin bearer, the sin payment for us. Would, you don't think that would cause grief for Jesus? He was getting ready to experience something. He hadn't experienced in all eternity. Alienation from the Father. And that's what happened on the cross for you and me. And for you and for you and for you and for you and for you. So that we may have life. So that we may know him. So Jesus prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but your will. So Jesus given to the temptation. Praise God that he didn't, because he wouldn't be here if he did. No, he did not. He knew that the cup could not be emptied unless he drinks it, unless he drank it with his life. So in the end, Jesus freely submits to the Father will here. He freely submits to it. Not my will, Lord, not my will, Father, but your will for me. He voluntarily lays down his life. No one took it from him. No one made him do it. He voluntarily and freely did it. He volunteered his life to be a sin payment, a payment for our sin debt. That's what he did. Philippians 2 says, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Been born in the likeness of man. And been found in human form. He humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on the cross. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? God made Jesus. Who knew no sin. No sin. To be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he did on the cross. That's what he accomplished for us. And that is why he resisted the temptation not to be the suffering servant. Because he knew what his life was going to accomplish. No one else could accomplish by giving their life. It had to be his life. It had to be him. Couldn't have been Peter. Couldn't have been John. It couldn't have been John the Baptist. Couldn't have been Moses. Couldn't have been Abraham. It had to be Jesus' life. And he had to drink it. Because if he didn't drink it, this is nothing. This is nothing. If he did not die, why am I here? Why am I up here preaching this? Why are you here? If it ain't true, it's true. It's true. Do we believe it? What has the Father called you to that you are tempted to give up? He ain't calling us to be a sin bearer, but he does call us to submit and follow his will. How you find his will is his word. If you don't read his word, then you're not going to know his will. Again, it all goes back to spending time in his word. Got to spend time in the word. What are the things in your life that you simply refuse to give over to the Father the things you are tempted to hold on to. It could be your life. Living my life the way I want to live my life. 
money, drugs, sex, pride, reputation, glory. What, are, what is it? What is it? Remember what Jesus told his disciples when, he, when they went out to the Mount of Olives. He told them, this night, you're going to fall away from me. You're going to fall away from me. And they all denied it. They all denied it. And in the garden, Jesus tells them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What do you think temptation is he talking about? I believe what he just told them was going to happen. They didn't believe it was going to happen, so they didn't pray about it. No, Jesus, we, we got you. We, oh, damn, I'm your boy. I'm not going to turn my back on you. Like we all know, when the cops come, your boys ain't your boys no more. <laughs> it's the first one who can rat one out. They all fled. They all fled the scene. Jesus knows that there are going to be things in your life that you ain't want to give over. He knows there are going to be times in your life when you flee to the far country. And that's why he tells you, watch and pray so you may not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Do you pray? Or do you think you're better than a 12? These are men who live with Jesus. These are the men that Jesus washed these men's feet. If you think you're better than them, we're not. We do all face temptation. We all are tempted to run, to flee, to sing. Because if you're not ever going to pray about these things, you can never ever say what Jesus says. Your will be done, not mine. If you don't bend the knee. You won't ever do it. You won't ever do it. You've got to pray. The Spirit to give you the strength to say, yes, Father, your will for my life, whatever it may be, even in the things that I suffer, even in the hardships to come, because they're going to come even if you try to hide from it. can't hide from suffering. can't hide from hardships. You can't have enough money. You can't live in a bigger community and escape the reality of suffering. It's going to come. It's going to come. Not just down here in the village, over in South Huntsville, too. It comes in many different forms and shapes and sizes. How are you going to deal with it? If you're not praying, the word, connecting with the body, then you're not going to deal with it well. You're not going to deal with it well. At the Last Supper, you know, Jesus took the bread and after he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks to it, to, the, to it, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do you notice something interesting about that in the prayer that Jesus prayed? What's interesting about that? His prayer and, the, and what he said at the Last Supper, the cups, the cups, Who's drinking what cup? He prayed that he would not, he, in his prayer, he was going to drink the cup of God's wrath so that we don't have to. He was going to empty that cup out with his own life. And because he did that, because he did that, you don't ever have to drink it. You don't ever have to see it. 
You don't ever have to think about it. You don't ever have to touch that cup. But he gives you a new cup, a cup of forgiveness, a cup of forgiveness of his blood poured out for your sins. And I ask you, have you drunk of that cup? Or do you say, not today, Alex. I pass it by. I don't want to drink of it today because I'm not thirsty. I don't need that cup. Do you want forgiveness? Do you want forgiveness for everything you've ever done? Do you want it? Well, y'all, do you want forgiveness? <laughs> do you need it? Do you want peace? Do you want freedom? Then you've got to drink of the cup. How do you drink of it? If you've never done this, ask Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Ask him. If you don't know him, ask him. And he gives you the cup. You ain't got to pay for the cup. Just take it and receive it. And if you already know Jesus, I ask you, are you still drinking? Are you still drinking from that cup? Jesus emptied his life. Jesus emptied the cup of wrath by laying down his life. And you empty the cup of forgiveness by resting and depending upon Jesus and saving faith. That's how you empty the cup. Resting, receiving, and depending upon Jesus and saving faith. And you do that for the rest of your life. You don't ever stop depending upon him. You don't ever stop resting in him. You drank of this cup all the days of your life. Will you drink? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you that because of Christ, Lord, we have a different cup. I thank you because of him that we no longer have to even think about the cup of your wrath. We don't have to see it, touch it, smell of it at all. We have the cup of forgiveness presented to us. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that Jesus, Lord, he, he was struggling here in, in the garden, but Lord, he did not give in to his temptation. He resisted. He laid down his life. For all of our sins. And I thank you for that, Father. And we look forward, Lord, a couple of weeks, Lord, when we get to Easter. And we see that he conquered sin and death, Father, in the resurrection. And so, Father, as we go out this week and we go through the things we're going to go through, the sorrows that we have, the temptations that we're going to face, let us know that we have a Savior who understands, who comforts us, who empowers us. That he will give us a way out. So help us, Father, to pray about what we go through. Help us to, to go to your word, not just to, for a checklist, but, Lord, for life. For life. And help us to connect in a deeper way to one another because we need the body of Christ as we live this life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.